This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. What a day. Man, I just I sat in my car at the end of the day uh, on the road uh, before we pulled out into the traffic jam <laughs> and just wept. God's goodness. You know, we're born for moments like this. And I was thinking about how many... Anyway, it was just a really special moment yesterday. And there's two sets of history books, two sets of newspapers that are being written, one on earth and one in heaven. (laughs) One's going to burn, the other's going to live forever. And I just can't wait till we get to heaven and we get to see the spoil of everything that happened yesterday. And so I just want to say thank you so much, Cam and Sandra. They have been, you guys have no idea, behind the scenes, Cam was on the phone running interference for this little, you know, girl coming in from outside wanting to do this prayer meeting and answering all the questions that all the pastors had and sending emails, inviting people to the information meetings, sharing with you guys. And obviously Sandra was an amazing part of the pre-cry rally worship. And they've just been such such a support and just really ministered courage uh, to me to just go for it. I got a phone call from Cam, I think about a week before the cry, right? And he said, Basically, you be you, you know, just take this thing and and do it. And, you know, words like that are so empowering and strengthening because, you know, as the body of Christ, we can either, um, you know, diminish and deplete each other through fleshly drama (laughs) or we can empower each other through love and just choosing to just believe the best and, you know, encourage each other and say, you go for it and, You know, if there's a little bit of mess in the process, then, you know, hey, we're just going to clean it up and keep going because, you know, what what war, what advance didn't ever, you know, and I'm not saying that there was mess. There actually wasn't. It was (laughs) quite delightful, actually. And uh, but just to say, I'm just so grateful for you and for your leadership in this city and just want to honor you before your people because you have amazing, amazing leaders. Very, very clean spiritually. Yeah. Yeah, stand on up and just honor your pastors and give them a little hoot. Hoot, hoot, hoot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and there's actually, there's inheritance in honoring, you know? Um, You know, we don't do it because it's some sort of butter-up political thing, but, you know, one thing that I've learned over the last, when did I start ministry? 1997, 20 years ago? And uh, one thing that I've noticed is that Holy Spirit is really attracted to honor. And uh, when we honor those that God has put in authority, you know, um, I think one of the greatest uh, deceptions of the last generation has been this, almost like this sense of obligation to criticize leadership. (laughs) It's like we love somebody until they're in place. And then, you know, and again, I'm not saying this, you know, in terms of, 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 anything I'm picking up here, but just even our political leaders, right? It's like, you know, sometimes we can cheer them on, and then once they get in office, they've got about three months of honeymoon, and we start to like, you know, and yet the Bible says to bless those in authority, to pray for those in authority, and 
And, um, you know, I'll never forget when at the beginning of our journey here in the national level, the Lord's just told us, he said, you know, if you will so honor, you know, to your national leaders, even if you disagree with them, watch what I will do. And, you know, we began to lead these teams of young people to address the parliament of Canada. We didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about government. Um, and I'm, I'm jumping a little bit ahead of, I'm sorry, guys, it's the day after a cry. This is like asking a woman to, like, talk after she just gave birth to a baby, you know? It's like, don't expect it to make sense, okay? I just want to say that. <laughs> I actually told Cab that. I said, if you don't mind me maybe coming in late and, you know, not having, like, a three-point sermon, then, you know, I can come. But, um, you know, but, uh, you know, when, when we first began to to do that, you know, we just, we just began to sow honor to our leaders. And I didn't know anything about government. Honestly, I was raised by farmers and hockey players. My dad played in the NHL. Now I've got favor with all the guys in the room. Just kidding. (laughs) But he did. Um, He played NHL and I'll, I'll just get the question over. He played for the Winnipeg Jets when they won the WHA with Bobby Hall and the Capitals, the Blackhawks, and two other teams that I can't remember right now because my brain's a little bit wonky. So um, Atlanta Flames, Dallas, something. Anyway. And, uh, but anyway, so I, I didn't know anything about politics at all. And so the Lord began to say, you know, Fatine, will you raise up a voice? Will you be a, star- a part of a, a movement of bringing my, this nation back to godly values, fighting for this nation? You know, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing, right? And when I stand before Jesus, I don't want him to be, hey, you're finally here, good for nothing, you know? I want him to say, well done, (laughs) good and faithful servant, you know? Because it actually says, if we lose our saltiness, that's what we're called. That's our title, good for nothing. Not a cool title. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. Um. You know, and so, so we just began to sow this. But I didn't, I didn't know anything about government. I thought the senators were a hockey team, for real. You know, one of my main leaders, uh, this is just awesome. You know, one of my main leaders, you know, just, just loved, loves Jesus, loves Canada. Like these four girls on the third row here. Just, you know, I love these girls, by the way. Man, love them. Yeah, you, the ones right there. Okay, so... Um, you know, our, one of my core leaders said, confessed to me about a year after running with us. She said, you know, I just have to tell you this. When I first started, like, coming to Parliament with you, I didn't understand why we, want, why we should talk to our leaders about euthanasia. Because I thought, you know, like, what about youth who live in Canada? And I was like, no. <laughs> euthanasia is like, anyway. I said, just look it up, okay? E-U-T-H, not Y-O-U-T-H, okay? So, um, but anyway, the, you know, one of my favorite all-time quotes was from a little Albanian lady who's now in the cloud of witnesses, Mother Teresa, and she said this. She said, we the unwilling, sometimes God calls us to do things that we didn't see ourselves doing, we didn't even want to do, you know. So we the unwilling, being led by the unknowing, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful. Anyone? Any parents in there? <laughs> you know? Doing the impossible for the ungrateful. We've now done so much for so long with so little that we're qualified to do anything with nothing. That woman knew God. Right? And when I I look at what happened yesterday at Fort Henry, if you guys only knew, 
the weakness on the other side of that. <laughs> but in our weakness, he is strong. He is so strong. So I felt this morning just to share a little bit of my journey, a little bit of my heart. And I think we got to be out of here by 1130, right? Oh, no rush. <laughs> yeah, take that one up with my husband. He's like, you're preaching this morning. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, just kidding. He fully supports my husband's awesome. And by the way, the Bible says that those who remain home divide the spoil. Uh, but that's only if they're empowering those who go. If you stay home just to stay home, you don't get any of the reward. But if you stay home to empower the others to go, you divide the reward, which is an awesome, awesome principle. Um, so my husband is dividing the reward this morning of, of what Jesus is going to get from our time together. So, you know, but I, uh, you know, I came to Jesus in 1995. I was raised in a Catholic home. I, you know, I thought I knew the Lord. And, and this is in no way a commentary on the Catholic Church. There are tons of people in the Catholic Church that are born again, love Jesus. As a matter of fact, case in point, Father Leo, Friday night. Oh, my gosh. How many of you guys were there Friday night? I know a few of you were that dude knows Jesus, you know, it's so funny, actually, there was a bunch of, like, kind of narrow-minded charismatics that went and talked to him, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, for this guy came up, he's like, we heard you're saved, and I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> like, yes, he's saved, and he's probably more saved than you are, okay, so, <laughs> you know, so God looks upon the heart, it's not about the church we go to on a Sunday morning, it's about whether or not we've actually given our lives to Jesus. And trust me, when God scrutinizes all of our denominational theology on that day, I promise you not one single denomination got it perfect. <laughs> Every single one of us sees in part, right? I'm not, so I'm not saying that I agree with everything. Anyway, man, I'm the queen of tangents right now. Thank you. Okay, so I was raised in a Catholic church. Okay, we'll go back there. Uh, I, but I, I just really didn't know the Lord. You know, I prayed to get A's on my uh, exams, and I prayed, like, that the guys that I liked would like me back. You know, that was, like, the depth of my prayer life <laughs> before I met Jesus, pathetic.com. And, uh, you know, but I, I just, uh, you know, I believed in God, but I didn't know him. And I've heard people say before, his, you know, analogies like, you know, just because you, you go into a McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. Just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car. You know, it's because you sit in a pew doesn't make you a Christian, right? And I didn't... I did not have a personal living relationship with Jesus. And I started to hang out with people that, that did. And I just, like, it intrigued me because they heard from the Lord. They, they talked about God as if they knew him, <laughs> as if he was, you know, interactive with him. And, you know, our God is the most functional father. He talks to his kids. John chapter 10 says, my sheep hear my voice. You know, that word actually uh, means to, to understand you know, it, it's not like the Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. Like, it's like they actually hear and understand that this is our birthright and our inheritance to actually have real transaction with our Heavenly Father. And we grow in that, right? Like when we're babies, our, the babies don't come out of the womb fully understanding English. <laughs> but the more they get to know mom and dad, you know, when, as they mature, they, they're there. You know what I mean? When I say don't touch that cookie, they get it. You know what I mean? So... I didn't really know God, but uh, I gave my heart to Jesus in 1995 at Simon Fraser University, one of the most secular universities. Is that your alma mater? Somebody? Wow. Wow. And, uh, you know, which is a sign and a wonder for anyone to get saved at a university. Like, you know, it's like getting saved in a bar, you know. And, uh, 
you know, but I just, I encountered the Lord there. And I can remember sitting on my dormitory room, looking up at the 80s stucco ceiling and just saying, you know, God, could I please, please, please be a missionary? Could I, like, I, I thought it was like this elite tier, you know, or something. And I didn't understand yet that he's called us all to be missionaries. He's called us all to mission in our spheres. And for some of us, that's going to look like vocational ministry, you know, that it's your J-O-B, right? But for most of us, it's going to look like being salt and light in the medical system and the educational system and with our children, you know, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. It's a sign and a wonder that you guys were at the cry yesterday with five kids. You know, when you were saying about vacations, <laughs> it's like, just because you take a vacation doesn't mean that you got rest. I'm like, especially if you have five kids. <laughs> it's like, I go to work for rest if I got five kids, you know. So anyway, but, uh, okay, what was I saying before that? You guys might have to help me out a little bit here. Somebody... Missionary. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. I, so I wanted to be a missionary, you know, and I didn't know that, 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 you know, the Bible says that he gives us the desires of his heart, of our hearts, excuse me. And, um, and his heart. And, uh, how does that scripture go? His heart, our heart. <laughs> I told, I warned you it was going to be messy. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I, sometimes people will come up to me and say, you know, how do I know what God's called me to? You know what I say? I say, just dig deep. Like, if money wasn't an issue, if people's opinions weren't an issue, if time wasn't an issue, if your mortgage payment wasn't an issue, <laughs> you know? By the way, I just want to say this, especially to young people, you know, stay out of debt. God has not put you on this planet to pay off a tuition bill and a mortgage for the best years of your life, you know? And actually, let's just say all the years of your life are your best years, but... Um, you know, and uh, I'm so grateful I was able to graduate from university debt-free and just go straight into the mission field, um, living by faith. I haven't had a guaranteed paycheck for 20 years, and I wouldn't want to live any other way. It's just awesome. You know, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. <laughs> and so... <laughs> You know, and so just this, this, you know, I, but I often say that. I say, just dig down deep. If none of that stuff was an issue, what would you do? You know, I remember one of my friends sometime, like she was working in a government job, and she's like, I don't know what God's called me to, and I just feel like, you know, what am I doing? I'm just like, get up in the morning, I go to work, come home at night, and just feel like I love Jesus, but I don't know if I'm doing what I'm called to do. And I said, well, what do you really want to do? She said, I want to save orphans. I said, then go save orphans. <laughs> go ask the Lord how you're supposed to save orphans. Are you supposed to make a whole bunch of money and build orphanages? Are you supposed to, you know, just go save orphans, you know, figure out a way to do it and watch God back you up, right? Sometimes we just got to put up our sail, start going in the direction and just see what God does. You know, just a good example from yesterday is when the Lord said Kingston. You know, we had no idea the final destination was going to be Fort Henry and a live broadcast on 100 on Lee Street. And, you know, we thought it was going to be on the backfield of Third Day Worship Center because that was our first option, you know, and it was free. Like, you know, <laughs> anyway, God's will is better even if it's more expensive. Um, so that's just my way of saying go for it. And you know what? If we all go for it, if we all dig down deep and say, what is my aunt, what is the aunt? And young people, don't limit God. 
I want to say that. Don't limit God. I haven't had a guaranteed paycheck for 20 years. And we have a house. Um, Waterview, Lake Ontario, paid off. You know, I have two beautiful children, a husband um, who, you know, we both live by faith. And, and God is great, gracious. He is faithful. You know, there is, his provision is in the vision. You know, we've got 70 to 120 years if you're lucky. I'm going for 120, should Jesus tarry. You know, don't live a life where you're sitting there at the age of 70, looking back, thinking, man, what would have happened if I would have taken that risk? What would have happened? And I, I remember, you know, even going into the Crack Kings, and this honestly financially, because sometimes finances, let's just be real, Sometimes that's the biggest limiter to us actually doing what God's called us to do. Probably a strong second is people's opinions and the fear of man, that type of stuff. And, you know, how's this all going to work out? And I see lots of heads nodding so you guys know. You know, but, you know, when, when the Lord told, like this cry that we just did yesterday, and if you weren't there, just go look at some pictures and you'll just get a bit of an idea of what Jesus did, you know. Uh, you know what I mean? But it was hands down the most expensive one that we did, like relationally, one of the riskiest ones that we took on personally for my family. And I'm not saying this so that you'll feel sorry for me, but I'm just being honest, you know, like um, personally for our family, you know, when I used to be a single girl, you know, and just I could work 18 to 24 hour days to pull, pull these things off. You know, I'm, I'm lucky if I can squeak out like three productive hours in a day now. You know what I mean? With a one-year-old and a three-year-old and a husband who just had brutal surgery last summer. You know, no full-time staff. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just, you know, but, but my husband and I decided a long time ago that when we heard that, that still small voice on the inside, you know, that even if it was us and... <laughs> four young adults that showed up on the field, that uh, we were going to go for it. We were going to do it. And uh, we were going to risk it all for the man who risked it all for us. And, and uh, anyway, I'm kind of bemoaning that a little bit. But just to say he's worth it and he's faithful. And we serve a God who can do anything with nothing. And God is looking for a people who will understand that our lives are but a vapor. Our lives are but a vapor. And I... You know, there is this false gospel right now that is, is out there. You know, honestly, I feel so sorry for the North American church because we are so dang selfish slash stupid sometimes. Honestly, and when I say stupid, I, and I include myself in this, I mean, it is wisdom to live with an eternal perspective. It is stupidity to live with a 30-day perspective of how am I going to pay the bills this month? Where am I going to go on vacation? You know, like these, these little things that don't matter at all, really. And it's not, I'm not saying that Jesus isn't in that stuff. I'm not saying that he doesn't want to bless us, that he's like this guy that just doesn't want us to have a good time. But I'm, what I am saying is that there are those who will choose to live for eternal riches. And it's a whole different kind of breed of Christians. I'm off my notes today, guys. Actually, I didn't even have notes. <laughs> so I guess I can't be off them. I'm off what I thought I was going to say. I guess I'll say that. You know, but I, I was so humbled, actually, a little while ago. And I think I shared this at the pre-cry rally. I don't know why I'm sharing it again. But uh, I was so humbled. Um, it was a couple years ago. I was just a newlywed. I didn't have kids yet. And I took a red-eye flight to get to Indonesia um, 
to be a part of this gathering that I had been asked to share a testimony at. When I got there, it was 8,000 people, probably the, one of the biggest groups in the natural, not including media, that I've ever spoken to. And most of the people in the room were from the persecuted church. You know, there was a huge contingent, like 500 to 1,000, who had literally risked their lives to um, go to that conference. When have any of us ever risked our lives to go to church? <laughs> That's next level, man. And, um, and I was sitting there on the front row, and, um, and they were just worshiping the Lord, and I was looking around and just tears streaming down people's faces as they touched the heart of Jesus. And, and I was like, I'm going to talk to these guys about God. I'm like, what do I know about God compared to these guys, you know? Like, all I've known is that we've seen some shifts in government in Canada as we've prayed. And, you know, we've had some good days. But, you know, we've also had some bad days in Canada, which is why we know that we're not done yet. You know, the Bible says to pray as your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So until Canada looks like heaven, we still have a job to do. You know, and, and you know, the Bible says there is no such thing as a pull-out theology with Jesus. He says, be salt, be light. If you're not, you're good for nothing. You know, there's this mindset, oh, it's just going to get worse, so there's no point in putting up a fight. I want to say this. There's a reward for those who put up a fight. Because the fight we fight is not the fight we fight because we win. The fight we fight is the fight we fight because it's the right thing to do. Knowing that our reward is on the other side. And so I'm sitting there with this in the front row, and there's this um, group of... Um, people worshiping. And there was an essence in worship, you guys, that I have never experienced in the North American church, ever. I can't explain it. I honestly can't explain it. Even in the most awesome of worship times where, like, everybody's engaged, nobody's trolling Instagram, you know what I mean? Like, everybody's, you know, fully present. And even the most awesome of worship services in North America uh, have never touched what I felt in this moment. It was like there was this essence of being willing to pay a price to give him glory. Because so many of those people in that room, you know, when they went back to their homes, if the authorities found out where they had just been, they and their children, and their wives, and their relatives could potentially pay a price. I've learned something about this cry. You know, it's one thing to pay a price when it's just you. <laughs> it's one thing to pay a price when you're just this single person that's, you know. Um, it's another thing to pay a price when, when it affects the people you love the most. Right? Your children. Your husband. You know? And, and there was this essence in worship. And I... You know, I was so humbled. I was so humbled that they were going to give me the microphone. And, and I was like, what do I have to say to these people? So, you know, I just gave them what I had. And they were just so hungry for Jesus. They just took it all, you know. And I was just so, so humbled. And, you know, I, 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 flew, I was on the plane flying back from that time. And I was just thinking. And, you know, and I was like, God, man, it, it almost made me jealous. It's like, I want to be a part of, like, I want to kind of go live in a persecuted like, nation where, you know, it's like it, it costs you your life to be in church, you know, that you literally have to count that cost, you know. There could be somebody that mows in here with, uh, you know, an AK-47, you know. It's what the Egyptian believers, you know, deal with, right? And, 
you know, and even in North America, I guess we're not that immune, but we're probably more immune than most of these nations that I'm talking about. And I, I was kind of jealous, you know, I was kind of jealous, you know, because when, when, you're, when that's in your face, when the cost is in your face, it's almost like you have to have that conversation with yourself. You have to have that conversation with yourself and say, okay, am I willing to die for this? Am I willing to die to sit in these chairs? And for us in Canada, we don't have to have that conversation quite yet. We're edging closer. But we don't have to, we don't have, to have, have that conversation quite yet. And I, so I began to kind of process this, and then I began to realize something. Wait a second. You know, there was this moment where Thomas, you know, he, he was doubting, right? And he said, unless I see the scars in his hands and touch them for myself, I will not believe. But then Jesus looked back to him and said, Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. And I felt this, this almost a sense of like, blessed are those who, who do not <clears throat> have to have that conversation by external circumstances. Blessed are those who do not, who are not confronted with the reality that they could die because they sit in a pew or go to a field like we did yesterday, but live their lives with that level of devotion and sacrifice and giving it allness anyway. And I realized, I realized something. Then I started to get excited about, about living in, the, in, in a lukewarm context. I started to get excited. I was like, man, if I can live my life on fire for Jesus in Canada maybe I have an even bigger reward. <laughs> maybe there's actually a blessing for that. And I, over the, over the last few years, I remember, um, I'll just share this, kind of rewinding back. Uh, you know, I, I prayed that prayer, God, could I please be a missionary? You know, and I, I believe that that was an, a, a desire he was putting in my heart. I believe that he was putting that. Because there's some of you, if you dug down deep, you'd be like, God, could I please be a lawyer? Could I please be a, you know, could I please have 10 kids. God bless you. You know, could I, you know, whatever that dig down deep thing is, everybody's like, yeah, God bless. Anyway, children are a blessing from the Lord. And you know, what's amazing to think is if you have 10 children, then, then the fruit that you have in heaven, you know, is not only from your own life, but you automatically have multiplied your life 11 times so that the fruit you have in heaven is times 11 of whatever they will do. So it's actually really wise to have a lot of kids and raise them to be on fire for Jesus. You lead the way, okay? I'm a little bit behind because I started when I was like 38. So, um, yeah, thank you. Oh, I heard that gasp. Oh, she's 38. She doesn't look old, older than 22. Thank you so much. I heard that from the second row. Okay, anyway. Um, but you know, so I, the Lord heard that prayer and I ended up beginning by serving on the inner city in Vancouver. Um, you know, we began to just, we pulled people out of dumpsters. We saw so many sweet things happen. We saw people supernaturally healed, documented medically of hepatitis C, of HIV. Um, you know, we would see people pulled out of the dumpsters. We saw one lady raised from the dead in our time, like just amazing stuff, like people getting saved. One of my favorite stories is we had this prayer booth on the street one night where we would just put up a, we actually put up a sign 
you know, and the Apostle Paul did this, okay? So don't, don't get all weird and think that I'm new agey. I'm not. I love Jesus, okay? But, but the Apostle Paul said to um, speak the language, right? He spoke the language that, of the people that he went to in terms of the cultural language. And so we would go down to the streets and we'd, we'd put this little sign up that says free spiritual reading, okay? And then and people would come. We put our little candles, and it was just like, you know, flies to a light. It was awesome, you know. And so then they would come and we would say, you know, we're Christians. We believe that God speaks to his kids. And we'd love just to pray for you and see if the Lord has a word of encouragement. And we would literally have lineups. One night, I remember we had a lineup to like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, it's so easy to minister that way. By the way, it's a really cool idea. You might get some persecution from people that don't understand what you're doing. But you probably get a lot of people snatched from hell. So it's worth it. <clears throat> so, uh, so anyway, uh, you know, uh, so we, we you know, there, one of my favorite stories was this uh, one guy that he was literally a Satanist, and he was very unashamed about it. He was like black overcoat, pentagrams. He had like about seventeen necklaces on, piercings all the way up his ears, nose, and he was just like prowling. You know what I mean? And uh, we didn't feel any like big, bad devil, demonic oppression, the devil's winning. It's like, no, Jesus is much bigger. It's okay. He's got this, you know? And so anyway, we just prayed blessing on him. And by the way, one thing I've noticed, and rather than scream, screaming at the darkness, you know, it's a lot more effective just to turn on the light. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you can stand in the middle of this room. <clears throat> all you want. You can stand in the middle of this room. And, I, and I'm all about, you know, not making it harder than it has to be. You can stand in the middle of this room and be like, the lights are off. God has given me authority. I command these fluorescent lights to come on. And you could do that as long as you want to. And maybe they'll come on right away. Or you can just walk over there and go flick, you know. And one thing that we've learned that is when we lose love and we lose blessing and we lose the good stuff, you know, the other stuff. Did you know that in the Hebrew that the word for possess is the same word for dispossess? Same Hebrew word. When, when the light possesses, the darkness has to go. Isn't that amazing? That's one of the reasons we pray the way we do at the cry, releasing blessing over the nation, you know? And so um, there's this pentagram guy. And so we were just releasing blessing, you know, in in one of the darkest areas of Vancouver. And um, literally this guy was just trolling. So at the end of the night, we went and prayed for him. We noticed he had a a tensor thing on his wrist. So we said, you know, can we just pray a blessing of healing over you? So we laid hands on him. He got knocked out under the power. Okay. So so wrecks your balance service. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just, (laughs) I told Cam I was going to be as unbalanced as possible today. Just, just to provoke. No, just kidding. No, I was, uh, and uh, I was, um, and anyway, I love all the expressions of the body. I think they're all beautiful to Jesus. And, and so, he, uh, so he got slain in the spirit there on the um, sidewalk. <laughs> Gets up and he's like, whoa, what was that? We're like, it's Jesus. You want to know him? He's like, huh? <laughs> you know? And uh, we had police officers that would come up to us and say, whatever you guys are doing, do it. Because on the nights that you're, keep doing it. Because the nights you guys are here, our job is way easier. There's just this peace and this presence. And uh, they're like, keep serving that hot chocolate. We're like, it's not the hot chocolate, we promise you. You know? So anyway, I got to check my time because I'm just like, okay. So, but anyway, so, so uh, you know, out of that time, I got, I got launched by the Lord into um, Liberia, uh, served inter- uh, internationally on the international mission field for about seven months. And it was during that time that God began to mess me up for Canada. 
You know, have you ever noticed how sometimes when you're removed from a situation, you can see it more clearly? You know, it's kind of like when I lived with my parents, I thought they were like the stupidest people on the planet. And then as soon as I moved out, I'm like, oh, they're pretty smart, actually. Mom, what do I do? How do I balance a checkbook? You know, <laughs> where do I go to sign up for a credit card? You know, um, and uh, so anyway, it was like I was removed. And, and I began to, in my prayer times, I began to get gripped with God's heart for Canada. And he began to speak, you know, sometimes just a still, small voice, you know, that, that, that when you come to, into the, the, the silence, the presence of Jesus, and there's something that you just can't shake, you know, and sometimes it feels like a distraction, but then you realize it's the hound of heaven, just not letting, and I, and I can remember, like, I'm trying to pray for the Liberian kids, and the Lord's like, but what about Canada? What about Canada? What about Canada? And I remember in this conversation that we had one day, and, um, the Lord said to me, he said, Fatine, why is it that you have a job here? I was, this is when I was a missionary in West Africa. Because at that point, uh, I was in a very war-torn part of West Africa, Liberia. And um, at that point, I had been there long enough. Word had gotten out that I was, um, <clears throat> you know, a missionary. I was a white woman and, you know, th- that I was a source. I was a, a place that people could go to for help. So I would wake up in the morning and literally there would be a lineup of people outside my door and that just would be my assignment for the day. I would just be like, okay, what do you need? What do you need? Just meet the needs in front of me and um, discern which one was most urgent, right? But every morning there would be there would be women there with babies that were literally potentially within the last 48 hours of their lives because they were, they were that malnourished and diseased. There would be um, parents that would be there or, or orphan children that would say, you know, can I have $10 so that I can go to school? Because they would have to buy a uniform to go to school in this part of Africa. You couldn't go to school if you didn't have a uniform. And it just like need after need after need. And, um, and the Lord said, why do you have a job? And um, one thing I've learned about God is that if he asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. <laughs> it's because he's trying to get you to go somewhere. He's trying to get you to think right? And, um, and so I've learned in those moments not to answer quickly, not to think I know it. Because if he's asking me a question, usually he's provoking me to go dig a little bit deeper and get a little bit stronger understanding on something. And so when he said, why is it that you have a job? I said, okay, um, why do I have a job? God's asking me, I better have a good answer. Okay. So why do I have a job? And I began to, um, Immediately as I prayed and reflected on that question, I got brought to a scripture that I had been praying through because God had been messing me up for Canada and also saying, what about your nation? There's lots of people that will be willing to go to Pakistan and to India and to China, but where are those that will consider Canada their mission field, you know? And uh, he began to speak to me about ones that have gone before, like one of the men who addressed us yesterday, David Maines, you know, who literally went up and down the nation of Canada calling the nation to prayer, would pray with political leaders, sacrifice for the sake of Canada. You know, um, you know I don't know if you knew this, and somebody helped me come back to this Liberia thing, but, um, you know, I don't know if, if, if we've... Un- I, I didn't understand the depth of sacrifice unto Jesus that took place at the foundation of our nation. Um, the Lord told me to begin to research it because he said it's, there's inheritance in it. 
that, you know, when one generation, you know, walks before the Lord, the Bible says that the fullness of, and this is Hebrews 11 and 12, speaking of those that walked in righteousness in previous generations, it says, this is so amazing. I pray that the spirit of Tim Hortons will be bound right now and that you can still track with me because I know some of you are like, church is usually over now. Okay, so just kidding. But, um, but you know, um, I lost my train of thought. Jesus, help me. Sacrifice. <laughs> I think this whole message has been sacrifice. Yeah, Hebrews 11. Thank you. Hebrews 11 and 12. And um, that's one way to keep you all on your toes because you're like, she's probably going to lose her train of thought, so I better be paying attention to tell, help her out. Thank you. This is just purely fruit of exhaustion right now. <clears throat> but, um, you know, it says that the fullness, that they were given a promise from God and that the fullness of the promise, that they did not see it during their lifetime so that... Hear this, so that they would not be made whole apart from us. What does that mean? It means God gives promises to generations that are bigger than what they can fulfill in their lifetime, so that the next generation would pick up that same promise and be a part of making the dream of God come to pass in fullness. There was a, there's a dream in the heart of God for Canada. Sir Samuel Leonard Tilley at the foundation of our nation brought Psalm 72 into the Fathers of Confederation and suggested that Canada be called the Dominion of Canada after he, that is Jesus Christ, will have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And a man that's buried just up the road from here, Sir Johnny McDonald. Are there any dream fighters in this place that will be a part of making the fullness of their promise whole? A man buried just up the street with a dream still in his heart, Sir Johnny McDonald, picked up a pen, wrote a letter to the Queen at the time, and said, We, the fathers of Confederation in Canada, are choosing to call Canada, not the United Provinces of Canada, not the United Kingdom of Canada. They could have called it a lot of things. They said, we're calling it the Dominion of Canada after this Bible verse, Psalm 72, verse 8. Because this is our desire for this nation. I want to tell you, beloved, no flesh would desire that. No human would desire that. Only the inspiration of the Holy Spirit would put that in the heart of an individual. The Bible says that we can do no good thing without him. And I believe that what Sir John A. MacDonald penned on that day with the full agreement of all the fathers of confederation, the Bible says that we're two or more are gathered and agree concerning anything. That's why that declaration yesterday was so important. As we agreed as a national company across the nation, there was something that, that document is already in heaven somewhere. I don't know if there's a Canada museum in, in heaven, but I know, I know that there's something. I believe it's in the heart. The Lord just gave me a vision as I was saying that. I believe that the... I believe that that declaration we signed yesterday is in his heart. honor to labor for his dream 
And what stupidity to live our life to pay a mortgage. So much more, you guys. Heaven is so real. Where is the church that will live like the Bible's actually true? Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust will destroy. Instead, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. You know, I don't think that's just about money, though it is about money. Don't be fooled. That's about our time. That's about the affection of our heart. That's about our talents. The Bible says, love God with all of your heart. That means our emotions. Jesus is pretty emotional. I don't know if you noticed in the Bible. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, our intellect, choosing to believe the Bible even when it wars against other parts of us. And all of our strength. Sometimes we don't talk about that one. What is our strength? Our strength is what we have to give. I bless Todd at the door there. Giving our talents for the kingdom. Laying it all on a field. Our money is our life in paper form. You trade your life for money. When you give it to Jesus, it's a symbol of saying, here's my life again, God, and again and again, and here's more of my life because you gave me more strength today, so I give you more. But there's a generation who laid down their lives for Jesus in this nation. Um, Sir Johnny MacDonald lost his wife. You know, many of his days he didn't serve the Lord, but I believe he was under an unction of the Spirit at times. That is beyond anything that he understood. I, not everything he did was perfect. We know that, and we repented for a lot of that yesterday. You know, there was racism there. You know, but the guy was strong pro-life. He had a heart for unity in the nation. You know, and he had a vision to see the dominion of Jesus Christ. You know, there were parts, right? And he gave his life to Jesus near the end of his life. You know, but also Marie Guillard. I'll just share this one too real quick. Marie Guillard, you know, the mother. They call her the mother of New France. And in the 1500s, I believe it was 1534, uh, around there in the 1530s, she had a vision. She had a charismatic experience. (laughs) She had a vision in France. And in this vision, she saw all these mountains and valleys and fog. She saw this landscape. Probably looked a lot like Kingston, actually that she had never seen before. And she came up out of the dream that the weight of the presence of God was on her. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her. And he said this. He said, he said, Marie, it is Canada that I have shown you. I am calling you to go there and to build a house for Jesus. She was incredibly misunderstood. She was persecuted by her own family she got on a boat anyway because the call of God was bigger than any exterior thing. She got on a boat, came to Canada, helped to establish something that you might have heard of called the Canadian medical system. Anyone? Anyone that tells you that Christians shouldn't be involved in the systems of our nation doesn't know our history. She also established something else called the Canadian educational system. To teach the first peoples the word of God and how to read and 
right? And to this day, she is known as a friend of the first peoples, not an exploiter, not an abuser, a friend. And the Lord spoke to her, it's Canada. It's Canada that I've shown you. I'm calling you to go there to build a house for Jesus. I don't know if you caught that. This was in the 1500s. Most of us know, even if we just figured it out yesterday, Canada didn't even exist yet. 1867 is when Canada was born. 300 years before, God is speaking to a little girl, 15 years old, a little girl about a nation that didn't even exist yet, a people that one day would be. Canada isn't just a bunch of trees and dirt. We are Canada. And God was speaking to her about us. And she gave her whole life for us to lay a spiritual foundation in our nation. Intense ridicule. Intense sacrifice. For us. Do you hear this? And I feel, I'll never forget the time when the Lord said to me, will you be willing to fight for a generation that'll never be able to pay you back in the realm of time? Will you be able to fight for orphans that you'll never see eye to eye? Because I want to say this, it's real easy to pick up a starving baby with your physical hands, your physical hands, and you feel their frame and you know if you hug them too hard, they're going to break. Literally, physically, you could break their bones because they're so brittle. It's not hard. Come on, really? Unless you're just dead. You know, you don't even have to be Christian to be compassionate in that moment. You know, and give your $10 for a bit of food and medicine. Like, really, honestly, I don't even know if there's any reward in heaven for that because it's just, there's so much intrinsic reward just in that moment. There is reward in heaven. I don't want to belittle it, but... But he said to me, would you be willing, would, he said, would you be willing to fight for babies that you will never hold in your arms, <laughs> but that you'll see in heaven? Will you be willing to fight for the unborn? Will you be willing to fight for those little girls that are being trafficked and sold for sex, even in this city, 12 to 20 times a day until they die? Will you be willing to fight for those where there is no immediate intrinsic reward in the realm of time? Beloved, I'd like to propose to you that this is basic Christianity. This isn't some special thing. This is what Jesus did. He died for us. And most of us, none of us, unless you've had a really amazing encounter, have ever met him in the flesh yet. And so God is calling us to be like Jesus and to be like Marie Guillard, Jean de Brébeuf, the first Canadian martyr, you know, who spilled his blood in the Huron County. And after he spilled his blood, there was such a testimony of a life given over to Jesus that there was a spontaneous revival that broke out amongst the first peoples, probably one of the first recorded revivals in the history of this land, all because of the testimony of a man who gave it all 
for people that could never pay him back. We don't do what we do because we get something. We do what we do because of it's, it's the right thing to do and because he asked. So God's looking for a people in our time, in our generation, that will lay down their lives, that will be willing to say for the next 300 years, for the next 150, I'm going to leave it all on the field. I'm going to pick up that baton. One of the main fathers of our generation just passed on into glory two weeks ago, Arnie Bryant. We don't know how much longer we have David Maines. Those that have gone before are passing a baton to us today. And if we don't pick it up, honestly, it's our loss in more ways than one. It's our loss because it will, of what it will cost us in our generation. If we don't wake up on some of the issues of our time, like euthanasia, abortion, freedom of conscience, that bathroom right now, as of about a week and a half ago, I, I was acutely aware of this when I walked into the change room just now, or before I preached. That bathroom right now, a man can now walk into that while my daughter is going to the bathroom. A man, a fully grown man can walk into that bathroom just because he says he feels like he's a woman. Whether he actually does or not, he could be lying just to get access to that bathroom, to sexually abuse or take pictures. And you might, people might say, oh, you're being fanatical. No, this has already happened. There are several cases of, of men saying they feel like they're a woman going into bathrooms, putting cell phones under the stalls and recording little girls going pee. And you can sit here and say those politicians, but if you didn't write an email... And if you didn't vote in the conservative leadership election, and if you didn't go to Fort Henry yesterday to pray, and if you didn't do the things that God has put in your spirit to do, every man gives his life for what he believes. Every woman gives her life for what she believes. Sometimes people believe in little or nothing, and they give their lives to that little or nothing. One life is all we have. We live it, it's gone. But to live without faith is more terrible than dying, even more terrible than dying young. That's a quote from Joan of Arc, a little girl who didn't even make it to the age of 20 and arguably has lived more life for Jesus than most of humanity. Let's just give it all, guys. We have nothing to lose but our fear, our pride, and our reputation, and all of that's going to burn on the day of judgment anyway. One life is all we have. Let's give it all. There's too much at stake for us in the realm of time, and there's so much to be gained in the realm of eternity. Young people, I want to say this to you. It's wisdom to live your life for Jesus. It's wisdom. Take it from an old lady. Lord. Father, thank you for Kingston. Lord, you said unless a seed falls into the ground and dies then it can't 
bring forth new life. And Lord, we know that that death is not just when we die in the realm of time. That's also us dying every day to the will of the Father. And Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you so much, Lord, for those that just have been given it, for those that that showed up on the field yesterday, for those that have been engaging their hearts, Lord, even during through this word. And Lord, for those that have gone before. And Lord, we just ask, God, first of all, for all the seeds of our life that have already been sown in the ground through dying to self and living to Christ, the seeds of our finances, the seeds of our time, the seeds of giving our talent and our service, the seeds of risking our reputation, the seeds of risking it all. Father, we put a demand now in the spirit because you said, but if it does die, it will reap a harvest. So we thank you for the harvest, God, that's going to come to impact church as they sowed volunteers and encouragement and in different ways. God, Lord, I just reap, I just put a demand on heaven right now for Cam and Sandra, God, and the work that they're doing here, that they would reap a reward from the seeds that have already been sown. I just realized I didn't finish my Liberia story. But what a perfect illustration. Because maybe someone else is supposed to start finishing the stories. Lord, we ask that you give us the grace to live in the light of eternity. And Lord, we're here today, God. Lord, I pray with every eye closed and heads bowed right now, God, that that you would see the hearts. Lord, you don't ask us to have it all figured out in advance. Lord said to me once, if I would have showed you the end at the beginning, you either would have refused out of fear, (laughs) true, or you would have tried to accomplish it in your own strength. Instead, I lead you one step at a time. And my gift to you, my child, is the satisfaction of knowing in your heart that you simply did what I asked at every step. He doesn't ask us to have it all figured out. He just asks us to start with what we have. I was reminded in worship of a little lady who lives in Burlington named Wendy Hager. She started sewing, I think it was sewing blankets in her kitchen and giving them to people in need overseas. She would give them to missionaries to take to people overseas. And that little initiative with her sewing machine in her kitchen is now expanded into a ministry that's now called Sew on Fire. (laughs) And she's got a warehouse that is probably 4,000 square feet where every day supplies and donations are being dropped off and they are regularly filling containers to bless the poor of the earth. What's in your hand? What's in your heart? Dig down deep. And then make a decision that you're not going to, for the rest of the days that you have, that you're not going to look back and be able to say, huh, I wonder what would have happened if we went for Fort Henry. I wonder what would have happened if I sewed that first blanket, if I ran for office. 
if I stepped up to the plate. We have nothing to lose and so much to gain. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.